Um, wait, this might be the 50th episode, actually. It's pretty special. Oh, I hope you're not 49. That would hurt. <laughs> Parry talks. Let's see. Yeah, you are. Episode 50. Lovely. Perfect. Oh, what an honor. Also, one thing before we start. Actually, no, we can talk about this on record because I think we might we might collide on this. Um, okay. But yeah. <sighs> Parry Talks, welcome back. Another week in lockdown here in Australia, for most of Australia anyway. Um, we're doing it tough, but we're trying to keep the spirits high at Parry Talks. Trying to give something, somewhat, some people something to do, something to listen to, and just be a bit inspired, I think, is really important right now. Just trying to find and seek inspiration from as many places as possible. And if a podcast is that, well, you're in luck. Um, it's episode 50 today, the half century. We've been going for like a year and a half now. So 50 episodes in a year and a half isn't too bad. And we've got a very special guest, a project close to my heart, I'd say. And close to many of a lot of people's hearts, just with the new recent record, I've got the man, the myth, the Jack Grace. How you doing? Pretty good, thanks, Perry, man. Um, yeah, and it's uh, what an honor to be number fifty, huh? Half century, all that. That's uh, means a lot. Raise the bat. You a cricket lover That's at all? It. I am a big one, a big one. Oh, I, wow. I um, yeah, yeah. Any cricket cricket references? Uh, Let's go there. No, the I, was, I was about to say the opposite. Any, oh, like In that, that case, I should cut any references of cricket because before you know it. But keep your eyes peeled. Me and Jack Grace are going to start a cricket podcast. No, just, um, yeah, well, I think a good place to start it off is we've got to address the elephant in the room. And also it's important to note we are while Australian Rays, Jack is currently we're chatting to him across the globe. So this is the first truly international podcast episode as well, based now in Paris. So I just want to ask, what is the experience of COVID been like for you on the other side of the world when it's been going on in Australia? Obviously at a sentimental level, it might be it must be quite tricky just with, you know, the extension of it, missing people. And just how have you stayed motivated creatively and personally really throughout this period mm, shit not much of a warm-up no warm-ups here <laughs> oh and i just swore on the first word as well that was the that's what i wasn't meant to do um look um it's been uh it's been a a, a wild ride to say the least um i think that, that the hardest like obviously there's you know You've got like you've got the isolation issue within your country, and then I think when you add the fact that you're, you know, I'm not I'm not French. I'm very much Australian, and as as accepting as everyone is here, for me, it's like my experience is also kind of different to everyone else's experience in this country, and I think like come April uh, last like April last year. I was, um, no, well, actually in March, I was actually in New York trying to finish off the last bit of my album, staying at a friend's place. And I saw the virus was hitting. And then I just managed to get back to my partner here in Paris before things really um, kicked off. And then from that point, pretty much 
all the English speakers that I knew who were living around me in Paris went home. They managed to like, I, I was kind of like a lot of my friends left the city. So I was just sort of, sort of so um, caught up with what was happening locally. Um, and because it was like Australia, it was more like whenever I'd talk to an Australian, I was trying to explain what was going on. And then it sort of feels as though a year later, when things have gotten to the point where like, we're not getting like, you know, we like to say to ourselves, oh, things are getting more normal here, but it's not, it's nothing like the lifestyle that I knew or, or, or that I had. And then a year on it's, um, Australia's been managed to sort of shield themselves. And I've been lucky enough, apart from missing people and family and, you know, I've had loved ones get sick in the last year. I've had stuff where I've flown really close to the wind on a few things and come out kind of like really lucky, but then it's sort of, so, so at least I haven't had to worry about a lot of my friends back home or my family, but then it's gotten to the point now where suddenly things are kicking off in a real way, I think back at home. And so then it's sort of like almost like a reliving of what we went through and I'm not sort of saying it in terms of like, oh, you know, that every, it feels like every, yeah. yeah, everybody's just having their own experience and things aren't happening at the same time as like they were before, you know. And that's the hardest thing because it like kills conversations. It, it makes it difficult to communicate. People feel judged. Things are criminalized that they weren't like before. Like, like suddenly, you know, if you're an Australian outside of Australia, it's suddenly like, you feel like you're, you know, it's a very uh, sensitive topic. Yeah. Know? And, and, and it's, and, and so just sort of trying to traverse that on a daily basis is, um, and just, you know, how rambling this, this answer is already. And we're, what we're like, <laughs> we're not even five minutes in. It sort of shows you the, 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 the level of kind of um, that this, this kind of is affecting um, people abroad, you know, yeah, and, th- and throw in the angst of being a creative on top of that. and Oh, man. <laughs> well, it just, I think the hardest part of that is just like um, when you when you were looking at everything that was happening, it just, the futility that I think COVID um, uh, bred in terms of like, well, if, you know, if every day you're reminded of, of like, like people are focused on surviving, at yeah. first for the first six months here it wasn't and it, like people were like well you've got time to like ride and stuff it's like yeah but it's like art doesn't exist in a vacuum don't just kind of like preserve the rest of life on one side and then like all the artists can go into a bubble yeah it's like it only works when there's a community and people are doing their things and you're going out and you're meeting people and having conversations and soaking in what's like like there's a, a huge i think the part of art that i love and the part of music that i love is when it becomes zeitgeisty and everybody starts to feel the same thing and it's like oh that that says what we're feeling that's that says what we felt last night at that club or mm-hmm. that says what we're going to feel like and it sort of like it breathes into its own conversation well i think covid just obliterated that yeah and and that's been the kind of the difficult thing i think for people who are trying to make stuff for the community or trying to make stuff for, you know, for the culture 
Definitely. It's been a, been a weird time. And I think obviously context and like stating the obvious context is so important when listening to music. I think COVID sort of stripped that context around a lot of music away. Like, and the obvious example is like club dance music, but there's also times where if, you know, I think a lot of what I've been thinking about a lot is how do, how did I used to reflect with music versus how I reflect with music now during COVID. And I think it's changed my listening pattern a lot where that bus ride home or that train on the way out were my biggest moments engaging with music in terms of how it reflected my mood. And now we sort of like use music as like a, I don't know, it's just completely changed the way I've engaged with music, I think. Yeah, well, my, um, the way that I listened or consumed most of my music was um, in my headphones walking around Paris. Like that was my, you know, I'd get up every morning, put my headphones on and just try and listen to a couple of new releases. And I'd, I'd, I'd be thinking about it the night before. And, you know, when, when COVID hit, Suddenly I was in a studio apartment with my partner, a dog and a cat. And so there was like, you know, suddenly you were, um, and then we weren't allowed it. We were allowed outside for half an hour a day to go and get groceries. And so suddenly that just killed like at the, at the point of when it was going, when we were going to this, to the, to the supermarket and, it, and we were seeing footage of people just falling over on the street in Wuhan <laughs> Yeah, like that's crazy. Con- convulsing, and you're lining up, and this is pre-mask because we were there was no masks because there was no like you just had to. We knew that masks were good, but there was no stock. You couldn't yeah. get a mask, and so we were like wrapping our faces with like fucking old t-shirts and stuff. Like it, it it's not conducive to like. Well, I might whack on that new record and have it. Yeah, exactly. Like check that out and see how that feels. Like it's just the last thing in your mind. You so suddenly that- you've got all this, all this time, but you, it's like it's like well, I'll, I'll do that later. Exactly. You know, it was it was not conducive to consuming music for for months. Definitely. Do you think that you're and like this is not so that we can sort of move away from just COVID? Hey, um, do you yeah. think your <laughs> do you think your music taste changed at all? throughout the period or do you think that you went back to old reliables and you know stuck with comfort maybe as a music listening activity rather than you know it properly evolving or changing because i've seen both sides of the coin yeah i don't know i mean i was already in the like i kind of have this really erratic kind of circular way of listening to music where i don't seem to listen to like i'm consuming really classic stuff and new stuff at the same time. I was doing that before COVID. So I don't think it really like, I I definitely though, like mood wise, I just stopped. I didn't want to think about, I didn't want to listen to stuff that made me think about my old life or the old, the ways that the stuff I was missing out on. Yeah. So for me, that's, that's dance music. I didn't want to think, I couldn't think about like a great, club night or a great show that I was going to not be able to go and see. And I think that there's like, so I guess I, it got like really skewed towards songwriting, um, bedroom production, like definitely stuff kind of got boiled down. I did, you know, I, 
it even became hard for me to listen and it's still still like I don't it's like listening to a great studio album like I haven't really been set foot in a nice studio since like uh, March in 2020 yeah and that's like that's a weird thing for me like I haven't I'm a piano player and I haven't sat at a grand piano for a year and a half or even an upright piano yeah um, because I don't have one at home and all the studios are shut still until you know until we can get the you know probably until september so it's like just the access for stuff like that it's definitely made you go well i I just don't want to think about that yeah i don't want to kind of you know speaking of studio albums (laughs) um (laughs) have you have you listened to the new claro record Look, man, I'm I'm so embarrassed to say this, but I actually haven't. I um, it's some it's not it's it's sitting on a list of uh of uh I think it what was it two weeks ago or something yeah. that it dropped. Yeah. Look, if it's on the list, that's all. That's I'm happy because it's, it's definitely it's, on the list. <laughs> and it did. It reminded me of you for some reason. Your music. Ah, not that's really nice. Yeah, and it there was just. Mm. I think I've been listening a lot to music that is, that has space. I don't know if that makes sense, but where there's just, it's not as in your face or like, it doesn't clog. It doesn't want to take over. It just wants to be mm-hmm. like an accompaniment to whatever you're thinking or an accompaniment to a really strong vocal or like poetic vocal. So I think, I think it's right up your alley. I think. Oh man. Well, I mean, I say, I mean, I'm assuming that she's going down the same trail that she was on, which is one that I obviously love because like you say, if you've, it's like what I guess I'm attempting to do on my record. Um, Definitely. So yeah, that's a huge compliment. And I think she's like, I think, you know, she's an incredible songwriter, incredible singer. Definitely. I can't say it's going to be a bad listen. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what a, what a transition. Now we'll talk about your music. Cause obviously you are singer, songwriter, producer, you name it. And congratulations on the record. It is gorgeous. It's beautiful. And I think without going into too much detail, obviously having worked on the project before and now being able to properly engage with it as a consumer without worrying about the other things, I think made me enjoy it a thousand times more. And we'll get into that. But before all this, and there is a big sonic change there, started off with River and If I Tremble, kicking off your mm-hmm. discography from a project point of view. Reflecting on them now after the release of the record, how do you think they sort of sit in the sonic imprint of Jack Grace? How do you think, do you still see them as like great initial, you know, introduction to the Jack Grace sound? Or do you, are you one of those artists that's like, this is me now, this is it, this is what I'm about, I'm better than that now? Like what's your, just your perspective on your older record? Oh, look, I guess when I started those rec, when I made, like when I, when I did River, I didn't even really think about it further than just like, I was working on a couple of other projects at the time and I, and I was, I'd always just done my music. I'd always just written for myself as like a, I don't like saying this, but it was almost like my music was like a, my own little space, my own little confessional therapy session for me, which is, um, which, you know, is, I guess for better or for worse, uh, what those two EPs were and I always had in my head though I was like one day I'm gonna like I'm when I get the space and time I want to I want to 
I want to just make albums. I just want to make, I want to make a few of them. So I was like, well, you know, I think the, the growth that I see is more in the way of I stopped. I, I'm hoping that it's like, it's a, it's this transition of instead of just sort of looking inwards, I started to look more outwards. And although, you know, I think turn to something, you know, is solitary. It's less, it's less, it's less um, maybe confessional and it's more kind of like, it's more kind of the stories and characters starting to be created and built on that weren't in those two earlier records. And obviously sonically there's a huge change, but sonically I think though that like after you hear what's next and then what's next after that, the EPs will be blips and there'll be sort of these interesting, hopefully these interesting moments that I'll probably rehash on in some other ways that I haven't worked out yet. But, you know, I'm not sort of like suddenly, um, like even on this record, I'm not like leaving behind like electronic textures or anything. I'm, it's just like, well, this feels right now. Yeah. And yeah, I've got, yeah, I've got regrets of things that I did on those EPs, but I don't think I'd be human if I didn't like, I, I don't, I've, I don't really have that, that kind of, there's a lot of artists I see around these days is like have this like unbounding confidence. And I've never really had that in my own music. I try and make it and then I just put it out and just back it, but I'm not like, I'm not going to defend it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, definitely. I think, um, yeah, I think there's this interesting thing I think about with, a lot of the music and a lot of the hip hop, especially I listen to now is, and I'm not sure I'm asking if you reflect on this sentiment is I feel like sometimes an artist would think to themselves and call me out if I'm wrong, where it's like, I want this to be as personal as possible, but I also Mm. want it to be um, as, um, as relatable as possible. And then balancing those two lines of like, I want it to be as personal and intimate as like, as I can, but at the same time, mm. I want someone to be able to listen and understand it without going too far in my own box. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess like um, there's, I don't know what, I don't know what the tipping point was, but I noticed like suddenly, like even with some of the co-writing sessions I was doing probably five, five six years ago, suddenly you had like a shift from like people suddenly wanting to talk about a lot of other things, like people around them, people they liked or like relationships are suddenly like the dial shifting or some kind of thing happened. And suddenly everybody wanted to like really boil down and talk about the thing that was like, that we all had in common, that small thing that kind of, everybody can relate to but is personal exactly what you say and it's a, it's i don't know I, I i haven't really thought about it enough to kind of um put my finger on kind of any etymology or why that what that shift could be put down to but it's definitely something that i think is popping up across i mean i think like obviously kanye does it in an in, a, in an incredible way um and he's always done that like 
in an incredible way. But I think it's like in these last few records, it's even like it's like almost like they're getting more and more personal. Yeah. The further they go along, as opposed to like when he started out, you know, or even like something like conceptual, like dark twisted fantasy, like he has moments where he talks about himself, but then it's like, it's getting more and more and more and more boiled down to, it's almost like just him sitting on a chair in an empty (laughs) room sort of vibe, you know, it's like, it's really getting stark, but that's something that I think you trace across the board. Like you say, Um, it's definitely like across, it's cross genre. Definitely. Um, I think one of the, I think one of the super interesting things about Kanye's release schedule, the past couple records, and this one coming up now is that even though they like argue all you want, they might not have the staying power of all the previous records. They might not be as polished or finished, but I think the beauty in them is knowing that he probably recorded those vocals in the past two weeks. Like this is as close you'll, as you'll get to Kanye Kanye as you ever will, just given how he makes his music and he's probably finishing the album now that was meant to come out last Friday. And knowing that he recorded these vocals in the last two weeks and not a year and a half ago, is I think super crazy and interesting. I think, and I think that that's something that's a huge challenge for the industry now, because I don't think you can, I don't think you're allowed that time to sit on records anymore. And I think that someone like Kanye gets that because he knows what it means to have something that, that like encapsulates like the last 24 hours online because no one knows, no one, like we all know how fast stuff moves now. It's like, there's, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's going at such a pace and it doesn't, the, the weird thing is though, it's like, once you tap into that, like, it's not like, I don't think these, um, his records have a use by date on them, but what happens is when you tap that zeitgeist, I think in that first week or that first two weeks, if, if people grab onto it and they're like, oh, I feel like that it stays with them for forever and they keep listening and keep listening because it takes you back to a moment where you were connected with somebody. Yeah. And that's not something that like you make a record two years ago or a year and a half ago, it's still a great record if it's a great record, but maybe it just doesn't tap into that moment that everybody felt when they heard that or this, or this happened, or this was, you know, and I just think it's like the fact that he can do that. Um, I, I don't know. I just, it just, to me, it just makes it just so much more incredible. And the fact that he's nailing the unfinished, finished vibe, like it just, I don't know. I, I, I just, there's not really anything else out there that I think will, I think, I, I don't know. I, I, it's really like we're living in a period of time that's so wild. And the fact that that's happening as we're speaking, is like, we're going to be talking about this again, I think in 30, 40 years. Yeah. You know, I think, yeah, and it's just not to keep talk about Kanye for another two hours, but um, <laughs> there's just something crazy about, um, like, how do I describe it? Every single one of his albums, you remember them for the moments, like, they're just monumental, like, you know, the whole world stops sort of moments, which I think is so crazy where it's like, I'll never forget wasting three hours waiting for a live stream to watch an un- Kanye's demos get performed in a stadium. Like it's, it's, you never see artists get like do that sort of thing. So the whole world stops. It's like the Melbourne cup. It is. It's exactly like the Melbourne cup. Kanye it's, is like the Melbourne cup. 
except we hate horse racing on parry talks oh okay yeah yeah well then it's it's like a it's like a friendlier melbourne cup it's like the boxing day test it's like the boxing day test <laughs> um back to you obviously and just painting the picture up until the record a lot of mm-hmm. co-writing as well up until this point um and i assume more co-writing to come as well um what do you think writing for others helps elevate about your sound when you sit back down and you write for Jack Grace? What experiences or even just um, strategies do you pull from those sessions and think, oh, this really helps when I'm writing about myself? Or, you know, how does that, how does that process benefit your own personal work? Well, I guess like I just see writing as like, writing is like, a, it's like fitness. And I hate fitness, but I like Same. writing. Um, but I guess it's like, from what I'm told with fitness, it's like the more you do it, the better you, the more fit you get. I've heard and that. I think that well. like, <laughs> and the, but the thing with writing is I think that obviously there's ideas like, let's say like ignore that. Have an idea in a room with someone where you're like, well, that's not for them. That's for me. So put that aside. I think it's more just like, um, when you're training to write, like I just write every day in my room by myself if I'm not writing with someone else. So when I get to go and write with someone else, it just like makes it so much easier. It's more fun. It's more interesting. I like being around other people's energy. I like taxing other people's vibe. Um, And I like kind of feeling that. So I guess like, um, you know, to me, writing's really hard. It's really difficult. And it's not something that I've, just woke up and could do one day it's like something that took me years and years of just chipping away to even get to the point where I am now which to me is not even at the beginning so there's like this kind of like thing of um well you know these writing sessions are like I don't want to diminish them and say they're like it's like training but there is just kind of something Mm. of like well it just makes it easier the burden is lighter because you're around people doing the same thing and um yeah it's it's I, I definitely wouldn't like there's so many things that I've learned that you just can't learn I think when you by yourself like you have to see someone else do it or you have to see someone else think like that a certain way or flip something one way or you know um and you never know when those moments are going to happen they often happen with someone that you might not you might not even know that you're walking into a session that you might have one expectation. You walk in, you're like, oh, wow, this person's got this dialed. I, yeah. just, I want to be able to do that. You know, That's super interesting. And I guess it's all about balance as well. Not getting too stuck yeah. in your own head as working on the one project, the one thing. That's it. I mean, to me, it's like, um, it's, it's really hard to, um, I think, like you, yeah, it's not so much. That's the other. That's the other. I, I guess that's the trick is like trying to work out when you're writing. If what you're writing is like the practice version of what you want to do, or if it's the the version, yeah, which is like the difference between like a B side, and if that B side becomes a demo, or if it just like gets a bullet in its head and you don't hear it again. You know, like I heard like one of the things that stuck with me, there's a writer from Canada called Andy Schorf. I don't know if you know him. He's like a folk, um, it's like a folk. Um, anyway, he's a great writer. I don't know why I'm trying to pin down what 
he writes, but he <laughs> was pretty much was saying <laughs> he was pretty much just saying that like um, the uh, one of the most liberating things when you're a songwriter is like delete or like deleting or getting rid of a song. And just like making that decision in the moment to be like, yeah, I'm not going to try and push that further. I'm going to leave that alone and I'm going to keep moving on. And I think once you work out that balance, I think you have periods of time where you work that balance out. And it's like being able to write with people helps you do that because you get a moment outside of yourself. You come back in and then you're like, oh, that sucks. I'm not going to force it. Not going to force it. That's just like a practice day. I'm going to put that down as practice and yeah. start again going to start again tomorrow on something else and that's not a loss that's like a gain and that's a really difficult thing to you know we're also time driven we're watching the hours the days until we die like it's like everything is so it's so like uh final i think and the older you get the harder it gets to write that time down as practice and that's sort of the thing of like well no i'm just going to kind of keep going and not not get too precious about everything. Definitely. It's like what Kanye does. It's so interesting. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Well, coming to that, back to the personal work, mm. you've released your debut full length record. Turn to something you know. What do you think had to change from a personal or mental point of view while songwriting to say, this is an album now, this isn't a project, this is the debut album, I'm writing an album. What triggered in your brain to turn into album mode over project or single mode? Um, confidence. I think just like self-confidence. I think it took, it took you know, um, it's just there's a personal element to that journey that's like, you know, some people have the confidence when they're 18, when they're 24 or, you know, not me took me years to kind of get the confidence to say, you know, I'm an album artist. I'm going to do this now, you know? And I think that the, um, I think it's sort of like all the artists that I held on such a high level, they, they made, they made albums. So it's like, of course, I naturally wanted to aspire to be one of those artists. And, um, and then I think it was just more of a, like that aside, like the, like concepts concepts aside it was just more like can i get 12 songs that don't all sound the same that fit in a group but like coexist with each other in a way that justifies putting them on an album i didn't want to just sort of like i had it's not like i didn't have the songs i for years i had tons of songs mm. but i don't really feel like i had a collection to sit behind and also working with my mate hamish he having him sort of help to kind of look through all the demos and sort of like put weight on things that I might not have put weight on. And I think like picking those things out and Limmer as well, the label, part of me. I think having that kind of external help that I hadn't had before to kind of go, no, this is what, this is what we have to kind of put ourselves behind here. And, you know, I think that that was another shift to that just wasn't present before i just you know um yeah i don't know yeah. if that answers the question no it definitely does um <laughs> interesting question from my from my end and you can answer yes. this in any way you want 
Sure. Do you consider yourself like an overthinker or perfectionist? I'm not a, I'm definitely not a perfectionist. I'm definitely an overthinker. Right. So yeah. I'm, I'm internally, I'm thinking how much of that was confidence versus overthinking. Maybe, I don't know. I don't want to put, because. Um, no, I think the confidence thing there or is. Or do you see them as separate? You, Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I, I guess like the overthinking of, um, overthinking obviously doesn't help your confidence, but I think that overthinking, um, you know, in my situation, the confidence thing, I think it's like, uh, it's more of a validation thing and it's, and, and there's a, there's a real, like, um, you know, I think it's just something that you, that you probably, um, you carry from a past life or maybe when I say past life, I don't mean like, uh, you know, in a Buddhist sense, I mean like more of like, you know, in the last sort of 10 to 15, um, life gets divided up into five year kind of brackets. And I think that like, you know, there is kind of high school in those days where it's, you know, I grew up in regional New South Wales and just to aspire to be a singer songwriter or even just someone who made music was just completely insane from where I was from. I didn't have any connection to anybody doing that. And that process alone, just to even get to the point where I thought that it was something that was even possible. Like my connection to music for years was like so fresh CDs from the Caltech station and, and video hits. And that was my concept of the music industry until I was probably about, I don't know, 14 or 15. And, and then by the time I was like, by the time I moved to Sydney, when I was, you know, late teens and I started, I was like, well, I, I love playing piano, so I'm going to play piano. And then like from that journey to like, I always wrote music for myself, but I couldn't see even just getting a picture of what the industry was. It's not presented to you. I think even just like it is now. Um, so I think the confidence thing, when I talk about that, it's more of like a validation of path. Mm -hmm. It's like, I, I wasn't like I was waking up in the morning and going, I don't have self-confidence to, you know, to, for, 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 to work, to walk into a conversation at a pub or whatever. It's more like a validation of I'm going to do this. And that's, that's a good thing for me to be yeah. doing. It's the right thing for me. I'm good at this. I have talent in this area. Yeah, that just—it just wasn't there, and it wasn't anyone's fault. It just, it just you know, we talk about like if I'd said I was going to be a cricket player, it would have been very, 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 very different. Yeah, you know, from my background. And with that confidence thing, it's important. It has to go naturally, and when you know, that's you know, it. Almost, you can't rush it. Yeah, I exactly. think, and, and and it's like one of those things where it's like you have to go and, you know, surround yourself with people doing the same thing. And that's like why community has been so important to this, to me, music-wise. I've never yeah. sort of really like, I've never really um, tried to measure what I do by how many streams or how many whatevers. It's just always been like, 
the people that I really respect and that I love and that I love working with, the artists, the, the friends that I have that love music, like what does this mean to them? Um, and that's always just been the thing because it's like it's what got me on the path yeah. without those core people. I had no like external moment where someone on the internet suddenly said, hey, you should do this or you should. No one ever said that. Yeah. It's just always been about that circle and trying to trying to grow that circle. Definitely. Obviously, you know. Um, to dive into my monologue on the record, this is what I think, this is what it makes me feel, not reading too much into the lyrics, but definitely on like sentiment for me. Um, I think how I've reflected on it is that things don't, you know, really go the way they planned or they're promised or the way they're imagined. Um, and only when you grow you realize that things never work out the way they promise, if that makes sense. And then that's when you can actually build past it. So it almost feels like a balance for me between meeting people's expectations or meeting the world's expectations, but also like having to grow past them as an individual and growing up and realizing that not everything's going to go to plan, but at the same time, that's a good thing as well. So I just want to ask you, like as an artist, what is it like, in this big body of work, how is it, how is it, how does it affect you personally digging back through say your childhood or just lessons learned, harsh lessons learned, good lessons learned. How is it emotionally digging all that up and then writing music about it? Cause I imagine it's probably quite an emotionally exhaustive process or was it more therapeutic? Um, I think um, it's, 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 it's definitely uh, it's like equal measures of both <laughs> and <laughs> depends on and I, and I think that um, the idea like I guess what I really tried to do is like I think I had to feel connected to what I was making so you know I moved the project around from being like like I said earlier it's like pardon me there was like a therapeutic or like a confessional element to what I was, to what I was making. It just happened. And then I think what happened was after that, I was like, I expanded those stories and yeah, there's flashes of my childhood, as you say, or there's like flashes of things that I've been through. And then I think to make it like the part of it that made it not so heavy or not so, um, arduous was when it's like when it's mixed with a moment that is like not something I went through it's like I guess it's, there's a character there as well and I think that there is kind of this like walking the line hopefully of you know like you say there's this overarching story which I think is really like spot on of like you know things don't maybe really go the way we thought they were going to go. Like there's the loss of 2000s um, optimism is a big, like plays a big part in my life. Like this mm -hmm. period of time where we were like 2000 Olympics um, kind of <laughs> onwards, like through this period of like, where we were like, well, we can see what our parents have, we can see what our parents have um 
what our, what, what what that generation has has uh, reaped from like wealth wise, like opportunity wise. Um, they've lived through a period of time like pre climate change angst, like pre like September 11, like all these kind of huge pre the GFC, like all these huge things that happened in that 2000s that made us kind of like, and then ending the decade with COVID. It's like it suddenly the optimism of the 2000s. I think it's like, it's well, it, it just ended. And now there isn't that optimism now. So I guess like there is a part of what I've done that I see runs in parallel with that story that wasn't really intentional, but it, it definitely, it's just my childhood in a way. And I think that that's something that we share um, because if you were born in the early nineties, it's like, typically that's your experience. And that's kind of like, if the record's speaking to that, it's like, I don't know, that's, that's, that's a, it feels like it's a, at least half of the job done. Like that, that was a big part of what I was trying to get across, you know? Definitely. And I think the way I've described it in writing in the past and the way people I've shown it to have described it in the past as well, they always use like, and as cheesy as it is, and as much as all music is, I think this record mm. sticks out so much as being bittersweet. Mm. And I, th- I feel that obviously lyrically there's personal themes, but I think sonically mm. is where that really shines, where it's almost glowing, but in a dark room, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so what do you think about yeah, that? Which is why do you think sonically that it does evoke that weird melancholy bittersweetness? And was that intentional from the start or do you think that, that just fell out? I know that I think that that part of it is like, I mean, that's super intentional because there's a coldness to it. Um, there's a real coldness. I mean, there's no reverb used on the whole album for starters. Reverb is generally used to make people feel nostalgic and warm, you know, like make things kind of prettier than what they are, put them in a space that, Maybe you didn't think that they were in, you know, or like throw, like it's used as a, almost like an airbrushing thing, I think reverb. So any moment it's like, you know, there is like production wise, there's delays and there's echoes, but there are analog delays and echoes and they, they, they end quickly. They're not kind of like, they're not creating a space any space that's there is just created by an instrument. And then when that instrument disappears, the space disappears. Mm. So everything keeps getting sucked down into kind of like, sort of like you say, like you're in a dark room. As soon as you, as soon as you turn that little light off, which is kind of maybe like a, like a piano part or a vocal, it's dark. There is no, like, it doesn't, there's no ambience. Yeah. And I think that that's like, that's a real, um, that was very intentional and I have got to pay like due respect and, and, and to, for that vision to Hamish, that's like a real signature thing that is why I started working with him at the start because, you know, we made that call very early on when we started. And, and I think it was like part of conversations, like he precurses anything that he does with like when I'm working on him, working with him with stuff it's like he's like well if you're happy to not use any reverb i'm i'm keen to do it that's kind of like his thing sick yeah and i um 
I think that that's, that's a real, like the, the starkness and the coldness of that technique. But what you've got is you've got songs that are sweet, like things that kind of balance it as like songwriting or the sweetness of maybe like a harmonic moment or like an orchestra or an acoustic guitar, which are warm, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah that's super interesting. Does that answer that? Yeah, it does. It really does. You more than that. <laughs> um, how important was having um, Hamish in the studio and helping write? Um, well, you can talk about whether it was writing, mixing, or just talk about his involvement generally mm. so I don't get it wrong. Um, mm. How important was it just having another person in there sort of just to lift the weight off your shoulders and also not get too in your head or in your own box? Yeah, I mean, you know, Hamish is this incredible, he has this incredible ability to like he's, for starters, he's got a, He's got a really strong vision. Really, like, does he will he cannot be he cannot be deterred from his vision and his focus yeah. point. Like from the moment he starts to when he finishes, it's like doesn't matter what someone says, it will not change his course. And for someone like me, that's like, pardon me, um, super helpful in terms of like the way. Like we had, um, it was it was a real thing of like he was really good at. I don't want to reduce. This is not a re- reductive statement, but it's like he's really good at filling all the gaps, mm-hmm. in in a in a in a in a way. It's like well, I think it's sort of like you can get stuff to seventy percent or sixty percent or eighty percent, but it's not done. It's not even near done. It's like the last twenty to thirty percent anything is the hardest so it's like i would get a song like you know there's one song that we wrote together on messenger um and then um which is like a pure 50 50 job which is the opening track um where we were just standing we were sitting um one day i was just working on stuff and we just sending mp3s back and forth on messenger and just kind of like building the track from beginning to end. And we, I think we did it in like a couple of hours and then we finished the production off in the room together. But apart from that, like everything else was sort of like, you'd come into this, like we would come to the point where it's like, okay, well, you know, we need to rewrite this section with some different chords or we need to do this. And if I couldn't do it, he'd jump in and help out and so on the songwriting level, like, like so helpful because it's like a lot of those things, if you don't do them, the song just never gets finished. Yeah. But if the, the, the percentage doesn't reflect the work. Yeah. If you know what I mean. What's it the does, saying? It just like doesn't. The first, um, what's saying the first 90% takes up 10% of the time and the last 10% takes up 90%, something like that. Oh, 100%, man. I mean, that's just like making music in a nutshell. <laughs> like that's that's it. it. And that's why it's like, yeah. And that's why like when you, if you've got someone in that room, who's, who's happy to do that, help you with that last 10%. Um, I don't know. Like it's a godsend like, there's just, it's a, and it's a lot of these people are like producers and stuff, you know, like we hear, see a lot of negative stuff or, 
we hear a lot of negative stuff. You don't hear a lot of the positive stuff where there's someone sitting there who's happy to do that last 10%. It's the hardest thing and not get even maybe 10%. Mm. You know, it's like, it's, it's a huge, that's the, like, it's like the final cresting of the, of the mountain. It's like when everybody spent, there's no energy. It's like, you can't do anymore. And then someone has to come in and pull everybody up over the, over the, yeah, over the ridge, you know, it's like, yeah, it's hard. And Hamish did, did a lot of that heavy lifting on the record. And then also obviously contributing, like I said before to that, to the sound. You know? 100%. Um, yeah. Ribbon was the first single, my favorite song. Mm. Um, ah. What do you think made it makes it? And sometimes, you know, this might've been, not have been entirely in your power um, from mm. preference or not preference, but what do you think, made that track make sense as the introductory record for the rec- for the album um you know what's the goal for a debut single like that um i guess it i guess what i guess you want to kind of like i mean i hadn't released a track for a while and i wanted to kind of draw a line in the sand and say well this is this is where we're going here and even if it wasn't the way the whole album sounded it wasn't like it wasn't creeping you in on a new chapter it was like saying well here it is this you is know? It, yeah and this is it and because there's other tracks on the album that could have been more towards something that was on on another ep that i done but I guess um, Slow Burn was in, like the cover of Slow Burn. That was intended as a sort of like a line in the in the line in the sand as well. I did like, but that was probably a year and a half before a Ribbon came out. So I, you know, apart from that, it like it said what I wanted to, like it encapsulates really like what you're talking about before in terms of like the themes of the album. Yeah lyrically it goes it cuts to the core of like um of what those setting up the story which was important for me i didn't want to do something that was like betraying the what the album was about and yeah that track kind of achieved that and it it also hit the same like you know when a label's looking for a song they're looking for something that has a chorus and it's a certain part of that by a certain time like all the all the metrics that we know you know that are no secrets to like giving a project the best chance that it's got to hit as many years as possible which i always respect that stuff like this it's not like labels aren't coming up with this these ideas these are these are ideas that people they're just looking at the data yeah they're looking at they're looking at what listeners like and what they respond to when it's an artist that's you know really just like making their way out in the world, you know? And it's also structurally with the way people consume music on streaming platforms as well, just with how they pay out music 100%. or like what time or, you know, how to like what, not to, no, actually we won't go there. We're not going to name any names just in case, because we've both oh, got 100%. future careers. <laughs> um, I guess we've sort of, not really touched on or we've we've touched on for sure but we've sort of avoided the elephant in the room that you are in paris 
at the moment and you moved to Paris. I'm just talking about through that process of moving to Paris initially in terms of the decision to go to Paris. Was it intentional? Have you got stuck there? What was that initial plan for Paris? Well, I fell in love. So that's like, um, that was what, what really like, um, I, my, uh, I met, uh, I met a girl and I uh, fell head over heels for her. And she, um, she was, uh, she came to Sydney for a year and got to the point where I was like, okay, well, this is really great. Like how, how, how do we make this last longer? And she's like, well, I've got to go home, you know, and she's French and she had a, you know, she, uh, sort of had the unenviable task of moving me from a very comfortable little position that I had, I think in Sydney that I built up over the years that I was like really in love with in terms of just like, you know, I had a great share house happening. <laughs> yeah. I had like, I had my routines. I, I had my, I, you know, I, I knew where the cheap tinnies were and I was like, really just kind of just getting to that point where I was like, Oh, this is why I came to Sydney. Um, and then I kind of ended up in Paris. Never thought of moving there. Never had any kind of inkling that I would ever live there ever. Not that I was against it. I just never saw myself. There wasn't a part of me that even felt like I could match or like, you know, there's something really daunting about French culture. It's like, it feels like it's kind of, it's, it's a, it's a whole nother thing. Like, you know, it's very, feels like I could imagine myself in the UK or in the U S but France yeah. is like, it's another thing. It's like an aesthetic thing. That's entirely different. There's like, there's a, obviously the language thing. So yeah, it was, it was just not, um, yeah, it wasn't, uh, wasn't planned it was just something that i've tried to follow my heart and it was the best thing i ever did in terms of that and um and it's why you know it's why i'm still here yeah was um was any of the record was the record finished by the time you got to paris no i made um i I, so you know like a typical year for me though pre pre pre-covid was like um, go home for a couple of months, stay at some mates' houses, make some music, do some writing sessions, maybe go and play some, like a tour. Did it, I'd done a couple of tours in the US. Sort of was just trying to build the project on a shoestring and, but just was based in Paris, you know, mm-hmm. and would, you know, I had my, my partner and our cat and like my home life there. And so I had, you know, a couple of trips home to Sydney and to Melbourne. I'd stayed with friends and like I'd turn up with some demos and just chip away at things. And then I'd go home to Paris and like, but the the real legwork in terms of like the initial writing, that was all done in my apartment by myself. You know, that real kind of like laying the groundwork for the album was done in Paris, I think. Definitely. But it wasn't finished there. Yeah. What, what do you think yeah. creatively, f- not so much just for the record, but as you as a person and looking forward now as well, 
what do you think that culture shock has done to you both from a songwriter and music perspective, but also as a human and breaking that bubble of comfort? Well, I think, um, yeah, it's interesting that this didn't come up before, I think, because now it's like, oh, this was a huge part of um, what I think set the album up in terms of like just just in terms of like a writing direction. It's like when I came to France, it's like I had to fully rebuild. I had to like sort of work out who, like I think after about a year in, I got to the point where I was like, oh my goodness, I'm not really sure who I am. Like I don't have such a strong sense of like who I am now because I'm like, I've been trying to like be Australian, but also be half French. Oh, I'm trying to fit in constantly trying to fit in. I'm trying to like come in on a conversation that's all in French and like say two words. Mm. That would be my goal. Like just say, just like at least know that, have them know that I'm like, I understand what's going on, even if I can't say what I feel or say it or, you know, make some stupid quip or whatever the thing is that I would generally do. And so I guess that what ended up happening was identity wise, I had to kind of like, fully rebuild that and try and um, work out what it meant for me to be someone who was like, um, obviously I'm not French, but like I had to work out even like humor is different. Everything's different. So I think that like when you do that, you automatically look at the past, you automatically go through everything that you've probably just took for granted and you're like, well, what do I want to try and bring with me here? Who am I? I guess it's the, it's the, the cliche thing, but it's like, yeah, who, who, who really am I? Who was I? What am I going to be? It's like a, it's like a starting of a, a, a sort of a larger life work that I, you don't ever like, how, how can you anticipate that when you move somewhere? Yeah. Cause all you, you're just concentrated on trying to find an apartment, trying to find a job, trying to find all the things that like, just working out on surviving and then you actually don't realize that, Oh shit, your personality has to change because maybe like sarcasm isn't going to get you by 99% of the time. Maybe you just can't like, you know, make friends from, from house, how, how quick your sarcasm is or how like, you know, whatever the, or how many beers you drink or, or, or the things that like get you by socially in, in Australia, you know? On a slightly lighter note, mm. from like purely like you're making, you're trying to make an internet viral video or TikTok or something. What was the one yeah. thing we went to Paris or France and were like, "What the fuck is going? Like, why do you do that? Like, there's something like illogical, like an illogical culture shock, or just like, what is going on? Like, were there any of those? Oh moments? man, because yeah, there's so many. Um, <laughs> And it's like that moment where there's like, there's so many and you can't think of one, but it's like, um, I think, uh, look, um, no, here's a good one. Um, opening hours for shops. 
it's sort of like um i would be like i don't obviously it's why i'm no good at tiktok i've picked something that's like it would be probably like really difficult to kind of condense into a 15 second video but it's like you go to a shop and it's closed and it says it's open on tuesdays from from 11 till 8 open on wednesdays closed on thursdays open on fridays closed on saturdays open on sundays not open on mondays and so it's like and that is just like if you extrapolate that out they're working if you add up all the hours they're working they're working like a, a regular working week but it's just like the opening hours you can never ever ever assume that they're nine to five ever doesn't matter what it is post office bakery a bank you know banks aren't open on mondays so like this this is like just a this is just a thing that's like affects you. I think you notice quickly because you're in your apartment and you're like, oh, I need to go and do this. And you go and hit, you go to one bank and it's like, oh shit, it's closed. Well, it's Monday. It can't be, they can't all be closed. And then you go around. Oh no, it turns out, you know, and then if you say to someone, well, why is it closed? Well, it's, it's closed because we opened yesterday. Yeah, but... <laughs> oh, you know what we should do? We should go halves on a bank. What? in france yeah have it open on monday we, we make a so have it open money. on it we clean up yeah um <laughs> oh wow shit we've been going for well, there's one other now. one Go there's, for a, there's one other one we're, we're on the silly part of the conversation now okay when they when they say you know how we say it's 24 7 it's open 24 7 mm-hmm. well they say it's open 7 7 and that means it's open all the time seven out of seven days I think is the idea, but I'm like, no, but it's not open. Like it doesn't mean like you don't write seven, seven. It's like how many hours, like 24, seven is like, it's open all night, all day, but there's nothing here open 24, seven. So you see like it written everywhere, open seven, seven, open seven, seven. But it's like, and my thing was like, well, is it open seven hours a day for seven days a week? Probably. It's like, it's open seven out of seven. Uh, you know, it's like shit like that. It's just like you can never. There's so many. Actually, uh, yeah, I don't know. Once you start thinking, there's yeah, there's so many things that now for me is so normal. But at the start, they were just like, I thought I would never get used to it. Um, I think by the, the weirdest one for me was going to Greece, and they close mm-hmm. all the stores in the afternoon so they can nap. <laughs> it's like mm. that's such a weird yeah. culture, like where everyone goes. Yeah. At like three o'clock, well, see, for me now. Well, for me now, I'm in the south. Um, well, I have been, not right now, but like I've been in the south because my partner's family is from like Marseille, and that's that Mediterranean um, thing where I guess you know the sun sets at like ten thirty, so you've got to pace yourself. Like you, yeah. you wake up, you go to work from ten until you work from ten until one. Then you close that shop from one until four or five. And then you work. Maybe you wake up and work from five until 10, but maybe you don't. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you just open for another two hours or, or an hour and then you go home. Like it's crazy. There is like a real, yeah. There's a real like romantic thing to it though. It's just like, if you can <laughs> give into it, if you can like let go of yourself and all your anxiety and fear of like, 
the fact that maybe you're never going to get anything done in your life ever, then, um, then you can enjoy it. Also, I don't hate the idea of having a designated nap time every day. Well, I think, you know, yeah, exactly. Nothing wrong with that. If you, if you, if you can day nap, I mean, for me, it just turns into like a, like, I, I don't know, it drives me crazy because I don't, I, I just, I, I've tried having a siesta before. I just lie there staring at the ceiling thinking, oh no, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. I can't sleep now. What's going to happen? <laughs> well, yeah, that it always just cooks my sleep at night. Speaking of segues, speaking of, um, yeah. um, what's it called? When you talk about something you're not meant to or not directly meant for the topic. What's that called? Yeah. Uh, you have to leave that with me. I actually don't know. It's no, it's something really obvious. <laughs> Regardless, um, who's your favorite Regardless. cricket player of all time? Oh man, number twenty-three. I think Warney. I <laughs> just like. I'm just. I mean, he encapsulated. For me, like. The th- I think like he rode that line as much as anyone does in cricket where he understood the theater. Yeah. But not only did he understand the theater of it, like he was the best. And I think that people forget that about sports. Sometimes it's like, you know, it's why, it's why someone like, it's like if you're an averages guy and you played, say like, I don't want to bag on like someone like um, Kadich, right. Or someone like that, who I'm sure there was like, yeah, I'm sure they're listening, but it's like, I think um, sometimes people, I think the classic thing like is like sports people forget that they're entertainment and that they're theater. And more and more, I think, um, I think artists forget that they're entertainment and they mm. they have to be entertaining in theater. They just want to try and make art. I mean, it's something that like something that is, you know, it's about like being entertained. It's not about watching someone be good at it. And Warney got that he had to be incredible at it and he had to be the best and it had to lift you out of the moment and elevate you from your living room or from wherever you were. And I, to me, it's like, I obviously didn't understand that at the time, but I just walked around the house as a kid, just impersonating his, him walking in and anywhere that I could. Yeah. Just like that, the character of it, it was like, exactly. To me, I just, I can't go like I, and and then I guess apart from that, like I loved guys. I mean, it's why I loved Andrew Simons as well. I loved Sim. Like I I loved guys that elevated the moment or or changed the game, you know, to kind of like just had that extra thing. Maybe they weren't, you know, maybe they weren't stayers. Maybe they weren't like people that kind of like were there, had the best stats forever, but they were kind of, Game changes. It's like my favorite cricketer now, Adam Zampa. Yeah, one hundred percent character. And an absolute character. Oh um, man. Final question, because we've been going on yeah. for an hour, and it's been a beautiful conversation. But <laughs> it is approaching six twenty Australian time, which means Parry the Greek boy is getting hungry. <laughs> um, regardless, um, at the end of every conversation. Ask two questions. The first one is, and I think we've already touched on this as well. Um, you know, how does Jack Grace, Grace measure success? 
not so much from, you know, a stats or venue capacity standpoint, but from, you know, what sort of impact do you want to have on a listener or a friend with your music? Oh, I think like to me, when you get, when you put a record out, like, and you get, like you said, I mean, you essentially just said it. It's like when you get a message back from someone who you thought about during the process and they say, oh, I really, um, I like this one or this one. I've been playing, I've been playing this one all week or something like that. That's the, they're generally the things that kind of makes me kind of like, you can't, it's the stuff that you can't control or you can't manufacture. Mm. Um, and in terms of like, it's, 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 uh, it's tangible, but it's like, it's not, you can't plan those sorts of things. You can only just sort of hope that they happen. And um, I think that obviously the other one I think is like, if I can keep doing what I'm doing, that's my other one that I kind of, that I gauge a lot of things off, you know, it's like uh, if I can finish making this album and I'm working on the next one, that means I'm still, I'm still on, still doing what I wanted to do because it's all about for me it's like you know i don't have another thing or another way out or another sort of thing that i'm trying to do on the side or you know not that there's anything i don't have anything wrong with that but it's like i just want to be able to kind of keep creating and if i can do that to me there's like that saying that i'm being successful in some way shape or form it's like the ability to just to kind of continue to keep writing and making music, you know. Definitely. Yeah, just to do. And the final question is, Mm. obviously we have, it takes a sort of type, type, it takes a special sort of person to come on this platform and be able to yarn (laughs) with me for an hour, an hour and a bit. (laughs) So we're always looking for new recommendations of people that are great, you know, at conversation and, great people as well that tell a good story so i just wanted to put the the platform open to you who do you think should come on parry talks in the future who has a story to tell well i guess like um i can think of a couple off the top of my head like um i you know i was really i've been listening to the maple glider record a lot Mm. and i was thinking like um i think tom beyond six like you know he's obviously worked on a ton of stuff in australia for a long time but something happened on that album to for me like something just like to me there hasn't been a release on a local level that's impacted that's i I, that i think has had the kind of the moment that this album has had or it's like has been so solidly kind of compiled like songwriting production art direction everything like it just all lined up and i've always been obviously tori's tori's an unbelievable songwriter and she's written a batch of songs there that are like mind-blowing yeah um so I'm i'd like to, to hear them i'm adding it i'd like to, to my playlist my yeah <laughs> i'd like to hear them talk together yeah to be honest i'd be super interested because i know i don't know tori um apart from just like passing conversations but i know tom 
And Tom's always someone that's fascinated me that I haven't really heard talk in depth or at length. And I'd be very interested to hear the dynamic between them and hear them talk about the, that, that record, I think would be phenomenal. Definitely. I'd tune in for that. I've got a good relationship with their publicist. So yeah. <laughs> now's the time to catch Now's the time. Up. Jump in. <laughs> um, Jack Grace, thank you very much for coming on Parry Talks. Man, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Parry. Stay safe out there. If you listen this far, thank you very much. Um, yeah. Please just stay safe. Get vaccinated. Don't do anything <laughs> dumb. Don't align yourself with anyone dumb. Just align yeah. yourself. Just align yourself with my views, and you'll you'll be sweet. Okay. Just exactly. Don't think any other way. No, just kidding. Yeah. Take care, everybody. <laughs>